Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, we have a special show for you. We're going to discuss the usage of a very particular word. I'm positive that everyone listening has heard this word before. Many may have used it. I know I have. I've also felt conflicted using the word. I'm referring to the N-word, a racial epithet that is meant to express hatred and dehumanization. For some in the African-American community, the word is used as a term of endearment and love. The usage of the word is a very touchy subject. Here at This Is Nashville, we don't mind touching the subjects, as it means creating a greater understanding of the nuance that comes with many of the issues we face. Later on this hour, we'll open up the phones to hear from you. What you think about the word is the continued usage of the word setting us all back. You can stay tuned for the number to call to express your thoughts. But now let's hear what our panelists have to say and learn their thoughts and feelings about the N-word. We pulled together a group of former guests of This Is Nashville who will offer wisdom and insight. Listeners, be warned, you may be hearing the N-word during this broadcast, especially if you listen to the podcast version. I'd like to introduce Clemmy Greenlee, the founder and CEO of Nashville Peacemakers, a nonviolence organization. Dr. LaRotha Williams, professor and scholar of African-American Civil War and Reconstruction and Public History at Tennessee State University. And Reverend Davy Tucker, pastor of Beach Creek Missionary Baptist Church. It's good to see you all again. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks Thank for you. the invitation. You know, Thank you. I, I really want to start off by asking each of you if you remember the first time you heard the N-word. Miss Clemmy, can you tell us that story? The first time I heard the N-word, I probably was about six, seven. I was at a store with my parents, where my mother, and uh, we walked in the store and somebody called her a nigger. And then they was calling uh, any other black person to come in there niggers. So it was like all white store anyway, because we, we was, about, I think, the third black uh, family that moved in that neighborhood because uh, it was all white neighborhood and the black people just started being able to move. So I was about six or seven. Now, I didn't know nothing about how to feel angry about it. Let me just say that first, but it made my mama cry. It made my mama angry and sad. So that's when I started like, you know, why do you cry? Because they called you the nigga word. Of course, uh, we didn't have all that teaching in school about this is a bad word for black people, for anybody white to call us that. So I grew up trying to figure out why is everybody upset about the nigga word when they said that's who we are. Did, so. your, did your mother tell you anything about that? Yeah, after we got home, they started telling me about all these slavery stories back in 16, 15 and all that. And I was like, wow. But I didn't know it was meant to really harm us. I didn't know it was meant to degrade us. I really didn't. Uh, but as I done got older, I touch a little bit more on that. Let me hear what they got to say. Dr. Lee, what's your, when the first time you did you hear the story? Okay, childhood confession. Uh, my mom and dad used to keep these old Richard Pryor tapes, um, um, Dolomite, and Red Fox. 
they were eight track tapes. I know this mm-hmm. revealing my age here, but uh, when they would leave, sometimes we would pop them in, and you just hear gratuitous use of the word. But it was in comedy, and we thought we were doing something that's kind of grown because we weren't supposed to, even though they had those tapes in the house. But the first time it was directed toward me, um, my grandmother used to get all of her grandkids. She would take us to a lake in Tallahassee, McClay Gardens. We'd go swimming. And it was just a good time, just fellowshipping with your grandma, a lot of love. But then as we were standing up, um, a young white child, might have been five, he rolled up to where we were, and he looked at us, and he said, hey, y'all, N-words. And, you know, coming up, there were two words that were trigger words for us. If somebody said something about your mama mm-hmm. or called you an N-word, you're supposed to lay hands on this person. I'm not talking about praying for him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there was a white person who was nearby us, and they saw how angry we were. He said, um, don't pay no attention to that. Um, you know, it's, the child is just ignorant. And as I sit back, and think about it as I'm telling the story. I'm like, wow, um, this was something. He didn't come out of the womb knowing that word. This was something that had to be taught to him at a very, very early age. So the the contempt that that child had for us, because we were just having a good time with something that he'd been taught and he had dialed into at a very early age. Did your grandmother talk to you about that incident? I don't even think... She heard us because I remember us flipping the football back and forth. You know, we were just young boys that were out there at the lake having a, a good time. Um, but my grandmother was born in 1926, I think, so I know she heard that word before. Reverend Tucker. Um, just listening to them, I don't remember the first time I heard it because it was part of the vernacular in my neighborhood. But I remember the first time it was said to me by a white person that um, we lived out south in Edge Hill and there was a store there called Batson's Grocery. And a bunch of us had gone up there. They used to sell these... um, two for a penny cookies and a big thing would be on the counter. It might be pickled eggs and whatever stuff. And so mm-hmm. you could take 25 cents. And, and um, I guess we were fiddling with him too much. And he said, y'all niggas gonna buy something or what? Mm-hmm. And I had to be, I don't know, eight or whatever. But I just remember that and I remember telling my mother about it, and um, she was like, don't go back up there anymore. And I never went back up there again. Mm. So um, I don't remember the first time I heard it, per se, but I remember the first time it was weaponized. The, for me, the first time um, I heard it and it was weaponized, I was in third grade, summer transition from third grade to fourth grade at summer camp. And this kid and I, became best friends, a young white kid. We, we thick, 
thick as thieves. You could not separate us the entire camp, having fun every day, every day. And then one of the last days of camp, our family comes up to join us. And I see him and I'm like, hey, come meet my family. He's with his family and nothing. It acted like he was a total stranger. And I didn't understand what it was. And I was kind of heartbroken. And I come home and my parents are trying to ease me into the conversation. But then the next day I went up and asked him, why didn't you talk to me at all? And he said, my daddy told me not to talk to niggers. Yet we're friends, mm-hmm. hanging out and playing. That really kind of shocked me. Um, and on through life, a couple incidences with friends who used the word thinking I was asleep or something. You know, question for you, do, you, do any of you use the word yourselves in colloquial language when you talk? At times, consistently, rarely, never. Well, you know, thinking about this show, and I appreciate you even approaching this, um, um, it's a public and a private thing. And I'm at a point in my life where I understand both sides, but um, in certain private settings, um, yeah, I mean... And when I really think about it hard, there are even private settings that I have some white friends that are part of that. I was raised up not too far from here over in Cheatham Projects, and uh, I still have friends that we grew up together, and our commonality was we were poor. Um, But I understand the hurt with it. Uh, So I guess my answer is uh, it's not a public expression for me um, and then it's not just a random private one either it's uh, there's an intimacy I guess with the people that um, I use it with Dr. Lee um, because I am a professor that explores African American history my class encounters that word all the time in some of our readings. One of the things that I have my students write on is um, is a speech that was given by James Baldwin called Baldwin's Nigger. And with that, we, um, we look at the word and how he talks about how it was a creation of white folks and it was something that they needed to create. This didn't have anything to do with him, so he gives it back. Um, I don't use the word in my private settings, although it wasn't always like that because um, growing up it was a term of affection. You know, we see uh, partners on the street, and we could just have seen them, right, but we'd always dap them up and be like, um, what up, my end? Or if our friends did something that we were very proud of and we were excited, we'd be like, yo, that's my. But um, I had to think very seriously about the context under which I was deploying that word, right? Whether it was a term of affection or whether I was using it in the same manner that slave masters would as a term of contempt 
or the same way the white guy my daddy had to work for I would use it as a term of contempt. You start weighing it out and saying, okay, am I using it more for more so as a term of affection or am I looking at my people and their institutions in the same way that our oppressors have? Mm-hmm. So it became much simpler for me just to say, okay, that ain't in my vocabulary anymore. Miss Clemmy. Oh, I'm straight guilty. Uh, I use it all the time. It don't have nothing to do with, uh, it got a lot to do with me coming up listening to Richard Pryor, but right now it got a lot to do with me listening to Cat Williams. Mm. Um, it's out there, all my songs, all my rappers. I look at, um, I got a 50-50 with the nigga word is um, on, the, on the white side. To me, it's, they say it because of racism. On the black side, we say it because it's just who we are and it's just how we speak. And uh, I said in a minute, what up, my need? You know, nigga, if you don't come on here, you running late again. I mean, it's just there. And so, and you know, could I say that in front of my mom, my grandmother, my father? No, because of what they grew up with. To that word is deal. Do you know how many times we got beat calling that? How many stripes came across our back? How many times we got raped? How many times we picked cotton? How many times? Okay, I get it. I really do. But then we're talking about 400 years plus now. And this is just a whole generation. And when I see little kids or black boys or girls getting punished because they say that word, it hurts me. Because we're not really breaking down that they didn't know nothing about the 400 years ago. So if don't nobody be bold enough and real and true enough to just really tell them why you feel we shouldn't say that word, then you shouldn't punish them for saying that word first. Hmm. So when I come, I have to catch myself in um, in some kind of settings that I be in, and I'm a political figure too. But even when I'm in the room with them, I tell them, even I got my white girlfriends, when they'll say, come on, nigga, we late for the hair thing, we late for the nail thing. And I'm telling them, I give you permission, because I'm not finna go through all that. I, I just can't, I'm not finna waste my time with trying to fight the N-word, when we got so much stuff going on in this world. And I don't see it leaving. You talking about you in your 50s, I'm 65. When is it going to leave? And I got a three-year-old niece that always coming out talking about nigga getting me ready for school. So I'm just saying, I, I, I want to know where do we go from here when we got a millennium that just thinks it's cool now. And you got the white boys riding around in the charges with the hat flipped with the little bandana around their head, which is the white folks' kids that's going around. Come on, nigga, man, with the, 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 the show finna start. And my black grandson and nephews jumps on in the car like it wasn't nothing because it wasn't nothing to them. Mm. That's they league now. So, You know, I, I, I myself try not to use the word. I find it whenever I leave the barbershop, I leave, I'll use the word because it's thrown around in the barbershop. And the barbershop is one of those safe spaces where you can express yourself. You know, and I've, I've seen in my lifetime, 50 years, I've seen this like this generational split when it comes to word that I think you all were referring to just now. A lot of younger African-Americans, specifically the ones who didn't live in any sort of Jim Crow society. They using the word as a term of endearment, but older generations, as you explained, Miss Clemmy, stay away from it. And but that's this this conundrum, this this word of 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 hatred, weaponized word of hatred, is switched around to term of love. How can we kind of wrestle and reconcile the respect 
that we claim to give elders and ancestors who lived during much tougher times, but still use that word. Is it a matter of properly educating younger generations about what happened, about the history and the atrocities that have happened to African-Americans? So they have some understanding when they go to use the word in addressing their friends? Or are we in some place where, you know, Ms. Clement, you're saying that, that young white boys and young black boys can use the word together and not have the potential for violence or vehemence or hatred that was in, definitely in my generation. Okay. Are we moving past it? Are we transcending it? I, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts about this, everyone. No, I think it's multiple perspectives. And... Um, while I do not use it publicly, um, there's so many different ways to come at it that um, marginalized folk have a history of taking those things that are meant to cause harm and minimizing the harm or even switching it. Uh, you look at um, foods like chitlins and uh, similar type foods um, that seem to not have any value, but we took them and they sustained us. So I can see that side of it. Uh, I also see the co-opting of culture. Uh, it's a word used in hip-hop, and when you hear it, you know how it's used. Um, so and I'm respectful of folk who lived in an area, because I did too, I'm 63, to where it is a, and can be, a harmful word that's used to disparage. But I guess in my own journey, um, I'm okay with it, except for when you weaponize it. And there are other words that can be weaponized also that can be equally as hurtful. And maybe they don't have the long history of this word, but um, even it's different. I've never heard it. When I hear it weaponized, the ER must be exaggerated. It's nigger when it's used colloquially, it's nigger. Mm -hmm. Now, that may be semantics, okay, but it doesn't sound the same and it doesn't hit the same. Um, and as Clemmy said, uh, when you look at uh, the culture, and I think I shared with you there's this movie, uh, and I think it's Old Men. I think that's the name of it. This one white guy gets dressed listening to hip hop and the black guy in the car, they're singing a song in the car and it gets to the part where the N-word is used and everybody in the car dares him to say it. He won't say it. But then there's a scene in the movie where he's in his house getting ready for work and he's drinking his coffee and he's running around, he's got his shirt on and he's banging the same song in the house and as he slides through the house, he sings the whole song. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now what I take away from there is his his love of that song and that music. He's by himself and he's not ERing the word. He's flat Aing the word. So 
think you got to be wide enough because it's almost like theology to me. There are certain issues that when you get to the road, there's two dominant arguments. The one argument is not heavy enough to assuage the other argument. So both have to coexist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we are with it, is whichever side you come down, when I play them out to the end, one doesn't override the other for me. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colona. We're talking this hour about the usage of the N-word. My guests are Clemmie Greenlee, Dr. LaRotha Williams, and Reverend Davey Tucker. You can tweet us at This Is Nashville to share your thoughts. And also, listeners, just want you to know that we're recording live, and we're required to hit the five-second dump button every time somebody uses the N-word during this episode. So this causes for an odd-sounding break in language. You can hear an uncut version of today's show later on in the podcast. And so Dr. Lee, let me ask you, does this word really challenge us, challenge United people of the United States in general, but African Americans, does it challenge us in a moral sense? I um I, th- I think so. I the funniest, the most popular comedians out here use the word pretty gratuitously, right? So there's a certain level of reward out there for being an, a, a comedian that drops in bombs, whereas opposed to a guy who might come out there and he's funny and he tells jokes, but he's not going to fill up Bridgestone Arena, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't know as I, I think about how the the word is used, and you know, and and Reverend Tucker. Um, alluded to this to a degree, but I want to just draw on it a little bit more. Um, I was in the military. I'm a war vet. And when we were sent out, we, I, I could listen to the conversations that was going on. You're saying, okay, we're going overseas to kill some sand blank words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems as though that word has been used as an intensifier for something that is negative. I um I came up in a generation where NWA came out and that that album was significant because this was really although you heard it in the hip hop but you never really saw it mm-hmm. right out there in front of your face. And I sometimes wonder if that was you know the point to where we where we started redefining it or it changes meanings i i I don't know, but um in my own personal journey and in studying the history of our people for the last my gosh, I started in ninety four so y'all helped me with the math that's what that's uh thirty thirty years dealing with that day in and day out and understanding that. Um, that word might have been the last that some of our ancestors heard before they were set on fire, or it might have been the last word that F. Grizzard heard before he was lynched on the Woodland Street Bridge. Um, I just, within myself, and just speaking for myself here, um, you know, I have problems with the word. But that said, too, 
I still listen to a lot of hip hop. Um, I, I consume that. So when I'm thinking about what y'all were saying about, um, you know, black men hanging out with white guys that use the term, um, sometimes feels as though white people are consuming the term, but not really being conscious of what the lyrics are saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sort of like um, with a lot of our cultures, there's a certain level of voyeurism that goes on um, when it deals with folks. You know, people used to come to North Nashville, and I'm sure in their conversations they would be like, let's go to the inward side of town and party with them at, at Club Del Morocco. They come there and they consume it, but then they leave and do something else. And I, and I wonder if this is a phenomenon that we're witnessing. But um, I, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll pull up a bit. I, um, a lot of times when I look at our younger generation and I try to figure out where, where they're missing the mark when it comes to our history or I say, well, what's wrong with these young people? I have to remind myself I probably need to pull up a mirror, right, and look at mm-hmm. myself and say, okay, I might be what's wrong with these young folks. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep up our conversation about the N-word and its usage in today's society and ask, is it worth keeping that word in our language? Stay with us. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking about the usage of the N-word. My guests are Clemmy Greenlee, founder and CEO of Nashville Peacemakers, Dr. LaRotha Williams, scholar and professor at Tennessee State University, and Reverend Davey Tucker, pastor of Beach Creek Missionary Baptist Church. Again, thanks to you all for being here. Now, one of my producers let me know that An account called Facebook Community Standards, which advocates for tighter restrictions on Facebook and child sexual abuse, said, quote, they wish the N-word would just die, end quote. But that kind of leads me to this tweet sent by Ain't No Hold'em. Says, in high school, there were some white kids that had hard R Wednesdays where they gave themselves the pass to say nigger once a week. They would love to know Miss Clemmy's thoughts on a situation like this. Yes, and, and to clarify, that account is our producer, Elizabeth Burton. She, Can you repeat that? Okay, so she's talking about in high school, there were some kids that gave themselves hard R Wednesdays, where they gave themselves the pass to say nigger with the hard R once a week, while our producer, Elizabeth Burton, who you met just before the show, was in school. She would love to get your thoughts on that situation. You know, my thoughts on that is, you said it, at, they said it at the end, I wish the end word would go away. It's not. It's not going to go away. If they, I don't give nobody permission that that young to say the word nigger unless you're going to explain to them what that meant. Again, as I said early on, you you either going to explain to them what that means or they're going to get it the uh, explanation out in the streets and with their friends. So my thought on that is, 
have a class on it. Like I always ask a church, pick out a one Sunday to talk about the N word. Pick out one Sunday to talk about sex trafficking. Pick out one word to talk about one Sunday to talk about um, violence. So if you're not gonna just sit there and you can't just stuff like that is is sugar coated. It's just sugar coated. Mm-hmm. How you gonna have a class and all you all you do it once a week to get somebody permission? The reason I said the white boys. Is don't is riding around in a charge of playing two pop. It's because this is what they gravitate to now. Because it's like all this is all they hear. Doctor Lee was getting ready to touch on it. It's out there. It's in the music. It's in comedy. It's in mo- movies. It's in Tennessee. It's in. It's in. Uh, I mean, not Tennessee television. It's in TikTok. It's everywhere. So until we get real and quit being, I don't want to call us ignorant, but I'm gonna say the word. Quit being ignorant with it because we the word is never leaving. And it, I don't care how the next life going to be, it's going to be in that. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm just not finna just sugarcoat it and get them what they want to hear. Dr. Lee. Um, as I listen to that, I'm just like, well, why do you feel an urgent need to say that word? Why is there a need to set aside a Tuesday? What does that reveal <laughs> About you, mm-hmm. if if one of my friends, one of my white friends, was to come over and just ask me, um, why can't they use the word? My first response would be to look at them and say, "You're probably already using it, right?" Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you permission to do that. I'm not going to sanction the use of the word. Um, my response to you, my question to you is, is, why do you feel a need to call somebody that? Heads up for listeners, you may hear the N-word during this broadcast, as you just did not too long ago. Also, we're opening up the phone line, so if you want to add to the conversation, give us a call. The number is 615-760-2000, 615-760-2000. We got a tweet from Stopher Will. It says, quote, this word perpetuates and pushes the dismantling of our unity further subconsciously. It needs to be rid from our psyche so we will be respected amongst amongst each other. More importantly, the world. This kind of seems like a good idea. What about conversations for black people? Reverend Tucker. Um, again, I found space for everybody's opinion around this world. And uh, I appreciate uh, that opinion. But it kind of reeks of assimilation. Um, cultures develop inside of themselves. And many times other cultures place value or devalue what one culture may find value in. And again, I'm not arguing and I'm not pushing back because, again, I don't use the word publicly. But I do think there has to be space to where if a word is going to define me, that's not the things that create suffering for me. Hmm. It is coming out at the bottom of all the good list. Hmm. Uh, one in 11 uh, white versus black wealth. White wealth is 11 times greater. Um, uh, we just go down the list of things that you never have to utter that word that the system has baked into it already. Now, again, I'm not devaluing that, 
But what I've decided to do and what I've tried to do is to work against those things that um, impinge on human thriving and getting past just surviving. The N-word is not one of those. While I give sway and way to however somebody else comes to it, Mm -hmm. if we never said that word again, what is the correlation or is there an intersectionality Mm -hmm. to the systemic things that challenge black life every day? Mm It's not that word. My director's telling me that the phone lines are blowing up. <clears throat> Listeners, let it keep ringing. We are going to get to your phone calls very quickly. You know, that you, what you say, Reverend Tucker, reminds me of something. When I first came to Nashville, and we were about to launch the show, I'm interviewed by several people, and I was interviewed by a journalist, a white man, who felt a little guilty asking me this question. He asked, have you ever in your broadcasting career run up against microaggressions or racism? And I had to think about it. And I said, probably. I probably have. But I was too concerned with my job to worry about anyone else's microaggressions or their racism Mm -hmm. towards me. And it feels, you know, again, like what you're saying to your point, Dr. Tucker, I mean, Reverend Tucker. That's all right. You can call me that. I'm in here with Dr. Lee. (laughs) That's right. It's osmosis. (laughs) You know, that, you know, is how much of it, you know, again, it kind of comes back to the resilience we have to display living in a society that has white supremacist structures in there. You know, um, I do want to mention that in 2007, lawmakers in Detroit held a ceremony to bury the N-word, looking to end its usage. I understand something similar happened here. Ms. Clemmy, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was talking earlier about how um, Brenda Gilmore, West Senator Brenda Gilmore at the time, former senator, she had, uh, I mean, they had a big uh, thing about burying the N-word, and it was a nice possession to, you know, have the coffin, the hearse, the people, the fall, take it to the graveyard, dig up the dirt, just dip it and, and leave it alone. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was, everybody was proud of it. And it was, a, it was a real, real moment for a lot of people. But in the same breath, it wasn't a good eight hours, five hours or two minutes later you know, somebody came out and shouted, nigga, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that as if we, after we planned all that and and did all of that, and no, and in the same breath, somebody could still come right around the corner and say the N-word again. And that defeated everything that we just done. And then we still sitting here 400 plus years and still talking about the N-word. I, I don't understand why we can't just leave it alone. Again, to me, the way I feel about it now, I'm pretty much like um, Pastor Tucker. It, it don't matter to me. That's just me. Uh, number one, it's a setup to me now. When I'm looking at my young people in this generation, it's a setup. Because when you run up in a, a young person's face now that don't understand the history of the word, the N word, you finna get in a fight, you finna get shot, you finna get arrested, you finna get assault charged. I'm not going to prison for nobody. So you can all kind of Karens or whoever out there can run up and call me nigger all they want. I'm not going to lose what I've worked hard for to get to where I'm at because you know that's finna trigger me. Mm. Now we got a comment from anonymous person, but they're a regular listener. They say, quote, as a white man, it makes me cringe to hear, but I understand its power. Mm-hmm. As a gay man, that helped me understand the use of fag or queer mm-hmm. as epithets. 
when I think about the other epithets that I grew up with that were used to diminish different groups and they've all kind of faded away mm. and now, but the N word remains mm -hmm. king mm -hmm. of them all. Yeah. Stronger yeah. than ever. Yeah. In these days, you know, there's certain people who want to say that some folks can use the word. Some can, folks cannot use the word. Is it healthy for African-Americans for our, not just our political standing, but our own like social emotional standing, our, men, our mental place. Is it healthy for us as a community to act as gatekeepers of this term that was purely meant to diminish us? Dr. Lee? We have a history of taking stuff that was meant for ill for us and transforming it into something that works for us. I'm a big fan of chitlins, right? Um, and I oftentimes think about the black person that looked at those chitlins and those malls and those feet and say, I'm going to make something out of this mm -hmm. that we can use. Um, it takes a certain level of sophistication to take a, a word that was used to define you as the lowest of the low. And, you know, you hear stories maybe about conversations in white families saying that if you don't do things a certain way, you'll be just as bad as an N-word. Mm -hmm. Don't be out there in the street acting like an N-word and so forth. Um, but growing up for me, you know, when my partners would come up and dap me up and be like, what up? my inward and I see that joy in that face in their faces that was something that resonated with me because why because it seems like at times the whole world is arrayed against us right but this moment there's an expression of love but by that same token we have in the use of that word embraced all of its negative connotations as well I'm gonna get that inward Mm. Uh, one of the worst things you could be called when I was um, coming up. And there's really two words you can't say on the air back to back, so I don't want to screw up the dump, man, but you didn't want to be called um, an F-N-word, right? Mm -hmm. That was the worst of the worst. So um, it's said all that to say this. It's, um, it's complicated, and I... And I'm very reticent to try to tell my people how to express joy or how to communicate with each other because we've we've experienced that for most of our, our 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 existence here, right? What we could say, where we could say it, how we could say it, what we use to define ourselves. Um, but um, I would ask us to think about actually what these words mean. I, I'm, the pastor over here can tell you there's life and death in the tongue, right? Mm -hmm. there, there, let's go to break real quick because I do want to get to phones. We're going to go to one last quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the phones to get your thoughts on the N-word in the conversation. You can call 615-760-2000 to join us. And if you can't call, tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking about the N-word, its usage, and the conundrum it presents. We're opening up the phone lines to hear your thoughts on the matter. You can join the conversation by calling us at 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. My guests are Clemmie Greenlee, Dr. LaRotha Williams, and Reverend Davey Tucker. We're going to go to Charles in Nashville. Charles, welcome to the show. What's your comment, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for this, uh, for this show. Uh, my comment is this, is that I'm going to be brief, is that I feel like that we are very, uh, I'm a 66-year-old I'm a person that went to an integrated school in the 60s. Uh, my first encounter with this word was with a, a classmate that's, that said the word in a joking kind of way. I re- remember reflecting on it, uh, thinking like, oh, well, he shouldn't have said that. And as I was reflecting, I was thinking like, he didn't really mean it in a bad way, but then, so... As I was reflecting, the moment passed, and there was no issue, and we went on and, and, and started playing. And so I think today I feel like that we don't think we, we think we are too sensitive about words and not as uh, focused on the feeling behind the words. And we should not let any word define who we are. We have to define who we are ourselves and practice that thing called unconditional love. So sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. All right. Charles, thank you. Thank you so much for that comment. Reverend Tucker, how does that resonate with you? Oh, I give space for that. Um, You know, uh, there's another adage, you know, when they give you lemons, then you make lemonade. Um, And I think that's been part of the black experience in this experiment called America. Um, that uh, we've taken things that were meant for ill, as Dr. Lee says. But I also think that, as the caller said, um, uh, while words are very important, they're very, very important, and I don't want to minimize the impact of words, behavior is even more so. Your words I don't wear on my body but often your behavior in some way toward me, I have to bear on my body. Mm. And so, again, I'm, I'm 63, much like uh, the caller, and um, as I'm concerned about how you treat me. Mm. And that's where the rubber really going to meet the road for me. Let, let's go to Glade, David out of Gladeville. David, thanks for holding. What's your comment? Hello, thanks for uh, all your work there. I, I was wondering, uh, so I'm 58, and I've been wondering, wondered just recently, I uh, had the question, how is it that a person who is black can use the N-word, and as a person who is white, I shouldn't, no way kind of a thing. And I, I've wondered, is, is there an element to that, whereas people who are black, in a sense, kind of own the word, they've been through everything they've been through, and so th- they can put their hands around that, make use of it however they want to, because they suffered for it, so to speak. Is there any element of that to it? Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Panelists, anyone? Well, to me, I feel like, uh, as I said earlier, uh, the Caucasian took this out of control, not us. So the uh, ER word is for, is for racism, for you guys to put hurt on us when you call us that nigga with the ER. 
the GA is our culture, it's our time, it's our frame, it's what we want to hold on to because we make it cool. We make it if y'all gonna call it to call it to call us that all our life, then why can't we just come up with calling ourselves that? But it be in a cool way. So you got you got two separate which what you mean on which nigga are you calling me? You calling me the G the G E R you calling me the G A. But see, the white, when I came up and started calling, because I was angry once I found out what it really was, mm-hmm. and I started calling white people crocker, honky, um, rednecks, and all that. But it didn't do nothing for me because it wasn't cool. I mean, it just, wasn't, just didn't do nothing for me. The word nigga, it just came from just the word being cool with us because y'all, we've been told, we've been called that all our life. Rather, it was meant to hurt us, to harm us, and it's like the other gentlemen said, are you going to take that name and define you? And I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we got a right to call ourselves that if they got a right to call us that. But it's two different niggas. Mm. Okay, we're going to go. Thank you for that, Miss Clemmy. We're going to go to Rebecca out in Bellbuckle. Rebecca, thanks for calling. Thanks for holding for so long. What's your comment, Becca? Rebecca? Uh, I'm a 66-year-old white woman that had race riots growing up in my high school where they had to close the school. My brother worked at Job Corps and taught me as a little girl never to say the word nigger or uh, derogatory words like that. I'm so thankful for that. But when I had three young 20-year-old white boys that I took out to dinner, they played a CD on the way that had nigger in it, and I told them we're not playing that, take that off. And they started giving me a little lip. And I told them, you don't have a right to talk like that. You're not black. You're white. I don't approve of that. I don't like that little black boys are been abused all their lives and people calling them derogatory names. And I'm not having any part of it. So my son told them at dinner, they said I was old and I was old-fashioned and that one day everybody would be saying nigga. And then I needed to realize that I was just old-fashioned. And I said, well, if they do, it's because... You guys have failed society. Hmm. And my son told him, you need to stop because my mom's getting ready to snap. (laughs) So um, I ended up kicking one of the boys out. He was living at our house, and I told him, you can't live in my house if you're going to talk like that because they were defending their behavior. And I said, my son wasn't raised like that, and we're not talking like that in my house. Thank you. Becca, Rebecca, thank you so much, so, so much for your call. Panelists, anyone want to respond? I mean, I respect that. I respect that. But y'all know I said it earlier. These kids are getting punished for something they don't even know what they're saying. You know, where do the education part come in? Sorry, Pastor. I like how Rebecca made the distinction between the hard ER and the A. And the flat A. Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that I could hear that as she recanted her story. Um, and I can also appreciate the point of where she comes from and what her family was committed to and how words are harmful and they are. So I see in her context where she is, but I think there needs to be a deeper conversation Mm -hmm. with her and her young children to come to a place to where they ought to be able to respect her wishes while they do whatever because it's true that it keys something for her. And I really do appreciate your comments, Rebecca. Thank you. All right. We're going to go to James in Nashville. We only have a co- time for a couple more questions. James, thank you for calling. Thank you for holding. What's your comment, my friend? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm just of the opinion that that particular 
word, that terminology is just one of many uh, that unless you are just completely uneducated and ignorant of the society that we live in now, it's just a word that should never be used by anyone, no matter their age, their race, their nationality. It just doesn't matter. It has enough historical context that uh, it just needs to go away. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for that, for that, James. I'm going to go to another call. We have Mahal. Mahal in Nashville. i got just about a minute left. What's your comment, my friend? Thank you for taking it. I, I love Rebecca's description of the hard ER and the A. Um, I'm an Irishman. We grew up with uh, derogatory terms used by the British, um, Paddy and Mick, and we've embraced it, and everyone can use them, um, and it doesn't offend us anymore. This is an obviously much more difficult uh, word, um, and I'm just wondering if the if the speakers had any uh, comment on whether we c- we can use the 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 a ending one, and would there be offence if we said, "Hey, my brother, I G G A," would that would that then be okay? All right. Just curious. Thank you so much, Mahal. Ms. Clemmy, you want to take that one? This is the last comment of the night. Dr. Lee. Um, all of it, I think, depends on the delivery. And I don't, I, I don't foresee a day where there would never be a problem because as I listen to all these comments, I, I, I can imagine if somebody was to spray paint N-I-G-G-E-R, or N-I-G-G-A on, on one of the overpasses, right? Mm-hmm. Would that be cool under any circumstances? Yeah. No, the, the, the would, we'd have to get rid of it. Words, words have power. Yeah. I want to thank my guests for coming onto the show and sharing your thoughts and feelings. Clemmy Greenlee, founder and CEO of Nashville Peacemakers. Dr. LaRotha Williams, scholar and professor at Tennessee State University. And Reverend Davy Tucker, pastor of Beach Creek Missionary Baptist Church. Again, thanks to you all for being here. Really appreciate it. Hey, can I do your out piece? <laughs> yes, sir, you can. Give me one second. I love this voice. Tomorrow, um, be on the lookout for our part two of our conversation about the N-word, where we're going to discuss two of the more popular mediums where the word is used, hip-hop and comedy. Thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by yours truly, directed by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. Mary Mancini was on the phones. Live tweeting was handled by Elizabeth Burton. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get good podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lake Alona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And this is Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. <laughs> Be good to each other, y'all.